Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young business leaders, welcome to the YBT Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 111. Uh, Today's an exciting day. Uh, It's always an exciting day when we're recording podcasts because it's an opportunity for me to learn and grow a little bit, and hopefully you guys are tagging along and uh, tagging along and, and learning something along the way too. Uh, today, uh, my guest is Brett Humphrey, and uh, if you uh, have been kind of following some of the things going on in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or in Oklahoma in general, uh, we had a, an election, and uh, Brett was an integral integral part in the governor's race, but more so we want to kind of tie a little bit into his story. He didn't provide me a, a bio, so I'm just going to go ahead and guess, uh, and then uh, we'll let him kind of uh, narrow it down and see, <laughs> see, if I, see, if, see if I was right at all. So uh, Brett is a uh, Tulsa native, born and raised. He has four kids, um, two, eight, and six, uh, all with his high school sweetheart. Uh, he is an accomplished water poloist and underwater basket weaver. And uh, we're really excited today to learn all of the different things that he has to share about what he's learned in his entrepreneurial journey. Um, I will say this, though. I think this part is true. Um, he is kind of in the demographic of the, the young business leader, the, the core audience uh, that we're targeting. So uh, you're going to get to hear a little bit from one of your peers today and, and kind of see what they're doing on their journey. So I'm excited uh, to have Brett share his story. Brett, uh, welcome to the podcast. Say hello to everybody. And if I was wrong in any of that stuff, please let me know. Well, Evan, you were right in all of it. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> we're done. Man, I just had a hunch. I just yeah, had a hunch. Count me in, especially the underwater basket weaving. I heard that's the uh, key to success. <clears throat> well, there's less splinters that way, so you know it makes <laughs> it makes sense. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah. So I I was born um, 24 years old. Uh, okay. Born in '94. Was raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, attended Oklahoma State. Uh, graduated with a degree in finance, minor in accounting. Uh, fun fact, did a little study abroad. I actually just got back from South Africa, as you know, yeah. uh, Evan, but did four study abroads when I was in college. And so got to experience a lot of really cool countries, like studied at Cambridge and, and Greece what? and Thailand and Vietnam and Cambodia and had nice. an awesome time in college. So uh, I don't know if that's what you want to, listeners want to hear, but I could talk about trips all day because I love to travel. <laughs> I uh, noticed that, that part of the generation, uh, that younger generation, is very um, uh, they put a large emphasis on experience. So it doesn't surprise yeah. me that you that you love travel. Absolutely, absolutely, and it was a a blast. I also got to do uh, Peru and did Machu Picchu, which was uh, also nice. really fun. Uh, I, in college, I actually worked for all four years. I worked for a, um, organization called the Eason center for talent development 
at Oklahoma State. It's basically like a how to prep yourself for a job in the real world. And then I actually worked for Red Bull Energy Drink. And so they <laughs> sent me some places and it was a blast. Well, the Red Bull, did you get to drive the, you got, you drove the little uh, Kia <laughs> Sportage around with the can you on know, the back? Surprisingly enough, they didn't want me interacting with all the people drinking <laughs> Red Bulls. So uh, I think the, the Wings girls would be mad at me if I said I did. <laughs> yeah. So Very cool. Oh, I do have a quick question about this Easton yep. Center for Talented Development. So yeah. they were preparing you for the real world. How, how accurate were they? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, Man, you know, they did a lot of really good things when it comes to interview prep. And basically they said uh, it's a game of who you can figure out to meet and who you can know and then who you actually really get to uh, spend time with. And so I think they actually did a really good job. I mean, if I said anything different, I think Joe Easton down in Dallas would come up and attack me. So, yeah. Well, we are recording this. He might he might be tuning in and going, oh, we could use this to promote ourselves, maybe. (laughs) Oh, man, it was awesome. It was a great time. Well, I sorry, I interrupted you, uh, and I, I want you to kind of get to the point where out out of college, what happened? Yeah. So go ahead yeah. and kind of pick up there if you can. Absolutely. So I graduated college in sixteen. I took a job at Phillips sixty six in their global credit division, actually mm-hmm. in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, or as I like to call it, Bartles Vegas. Ah. Um, after a year at Phillips sixty six, I actually left in July, early July of 2017, to take the job as a special operations coordinator for a relatively unknown Tulsa business guy um, that is now, ironically, he's going to be the governor in uh, January. I think the inauguration's on 14. His name was Kevin Stitt Mm -hmm. and uh, spent 18 months on the campaign trail and learned a lot of lessons I'm sure we'll get into um but yeah free time i like hanging out I like traveling i like going to movies uh i really love personal finance which is kind of geeky of me <laughs> um i love sand volleyball and i have two golden retrievers that i'm oh. hanging out with as well so fantastic well uh, my my wife does makes me do some of these uh, pickup volleyball games so if we need an extra playoff oh. i might be i might be hitting you up over at uh over Tell at the uh, what's that place know. called <laughs> anyway, all right. So, so what I wanted to kind of hone in on uh, and, and is you, you kind of had all this education, you had all this experience coming up uh, with uh, travel and adventure, and you're doing yep. all these great things. And then you kind of you you get the job that essentially you've been preparing your whole life for uh, yep. through college, and 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 you're working at Phillips sixty six. Um, and so now you're what does a for, was a fortune 500 company. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a pretty good yeah. sized company. When I so, joined, it was fortune 10. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. By revenue. So, yeah. So like, I, I think that's kind of the plan, right. That, uh, I, that we all have in the back of our mind where, when we're in high school, we're like, all right, I'm going to go to college and then I'm going to, you know, get my degree. I'm going to mm-hmm. get a job at a, at a fortune, whatever company. Um, and I'm going to start making some decent money, making some good money. And that's success. That's, that's what yep. I, I want to be. Yep. And so you, you did that, right. You took the accelerated path. You, you know, you didn't have to worry about it. And, and in some cases you got to enjoy the journey there and then you walked away from it. So that mm. to me tells me that there's a little bit more to that story there. So I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit more on yeah. the opportunity that came up and also some of the decision-making process that happened uh, because that kind of flew in the face of what it sounded like you were working towards. That's a great question, Evan. Um, 
Yeah, I, you know, the, it's it's kind of funny when I reflect back on it. Um, I took a job uh, at Fortune 10 Company, Phillips and ExxonMobil, the big oil and gas really suck up a lot of the top students. I actually graduated mm-hmm. number one in my business class, uh, 4,500 students, and took that job. And I was, I mean, that's where, that was my path, climb the ladder, get to a C-suite executive in oil and gas. And um, anyway, back in, I guess in, 2017 i just it was kind of caught up a blue i had met kevin and spent a lot of time with him at the national prayer breakfast Mm -hmm. actually up in dc and he we kind of became a mentor to me uh we'd meet up at starbucks once a month or maybe i'd go to his house for dinner and we'd have coffee um but immediately after he grabbed me grabbed me one day and we're having coffee at starbucks and starbucks in tulsa hills Mm -hmm. summer 2017 and he said Hey, I'm going to tell you something. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And he was like, well, I'm going to run for governor of the state of Oklahoma. And I, I just looked at him and was like, what? Because we'd been meeting up a couple of times before that. And I was like, I did not see this coming at all. And it was just so out of the blue. Um, and he said, and I'd love him and another guy, our campaign manager, Eamon Ross mm-hmm. said, we'd love to have you on board, have you on the team. And so immediately as he told me, I went on this rant about, how I could help and gather and try to get all the young people because I'd read the statistic back in 2014, the Oklahoma gubernatorial primary, you know, out of a hundred percent of people that voted, this will be good for your listeners. Uh, <laughs> you want to guess what percentage out of those hundred out of the Oklahoma gubernatorial primary were from the ages 18 to 35. Okay. So if I'm guessing, and yep. and it's probably going to be shocking, so I'm going to say twelve percent. Seven percent. Seven. Oh, I was, I was within. Isn't that within unbelievable? Double. I don't. Uh, yes and no. I don't know that a that like they ever really understand the true value of it, or they don't. Yeah. I think part of it is they don't feel like they're they're well enough informed to answer those questions or to put those people in office because they, they're relatively new to it so that they feel like they're just throwing darts at a wall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're right. And, you know, I, from graduating and I was one of the very, very few people of my friends that stayed around Oklahoma mm-hmm. post-graduation. I'd say 90% of them went off to Texas or Florida or California. And I was definitely really frustrated with the lack of leadership that we had in Oklahoma politics. I'd met a bunch of the, through the prayer breakfast, the politicians and the governors from other states that were helping their economy just explode with growth. And our state just seemed stagnant mm-hmm. and we were going in the wrong direction. And I'd lived in Oklahoma my entire life. And we seem to just have this cyclicalness of energy prices, right? When energy goes up, oh yeah, then we spend a bunch. And when energy goes down, then we cut core services. And I knew we needed someone in the governor's office that had a business background. It was running for the right reason. And I can tell you firsthand that Kevin definitely didn't need that job. Um, and so I, you know, with that said, I really wasn't looking for a job when he asked me and definitely wasn't expecting one. So when he and Eamon approached me, uh, back in June of 2017, and was asked to join the team. Like I said, I was just totally taken back. Uh, I'd always had an interest in politics, but I never thought at the ripe old age of 23, uh, yeah. I'd have the opportunity to hop on board kind of like with a mentor and someone that decided to run um, for the largest public office in the state. So took it, took that whole opportunity, didn't take it lightly, 
Uh, a lot of family and friends told me it was absolutely insane for taking a very substantial pay cut to help a guy that no one really outside of the, the local business world even really heard of run for public office. Because if you remember, we ran against Mayor Cornette and we ran mm-hmm. against Le- Lieutenant Governor Lamb. And these were the big names yeah. of the people in the room. And uh, people thought I was insane, but um, man, I just believed in him. I thought he had a he just he had something to him that I knew his heart and I knew he was why he was doing it and I just had this gut feeling it was all going to work out. Well, that's 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 awesome because I because we talked a little bit about mentorship in there and like kind of the value of that, right? But then there was also there had to have been something that really connected with you to to leave that mm. safety of the job that you had and everything that you worked for to kind of take that next step into the unknown. And I think a lot of times people. Uh, they, they don't like being uncomfortable and they, right. they are a lot of times they try to mitigate fear. They try to mm-hmm. mitigate risk and kind of what you did flew in, flew in the face of that. So that's really intriguing to me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so far what I've, in, I, I've inferred is that you, you saw a need, so right. you're passionate about it, right? There was, right. there was, there was some sort of purpose behind it. So you, you kind of honed into that. Right. Uh, and then you also kind of saw the, the leadership, right? And so you knew that there was a solid leader there. Mm. And so were those the two things or was there other, was there something else there that kind of helped carry you through in that decision? Cause when you finally made it, especially like you said, you, your fan, friends and family said, Hey, a little, little bit crazy here. And not, so they're, they're planting these little seeds of doubt in your mind. Yeah. Uh, what, what yeah. are you doing? What are you doing to overcome that? And it was the, was the purpose and the leadership strong enough to carry through that the, or, or, right. or, or was there something else that just said, this is the right thing for me to do. And, and, and maybe I'm just young enough that I can, I can go out here and it's okay to fail if it yeah. doesn't work out. And uh, yeah. I, I'm resilient. Yeah, man, that's, those were all great points. I think <clears throat> it was a little bit of all of them. Um, I was 23. So I was like, well, my expenses are really low. I'm not married. I don't have kids. So I was like, if it's going to be a time to take a risk where I'm going to work 16 hour days for 18 months, then Mm -hmm. now's the time to do it. And I think what you're kind of getting at is, you know, this, this relationship, uh, you know, when, when you get pitched by a mentor and a friend and a guy that knows your heart and you know, his heart, um, it, there's just something special about it. Right. Yes. And there's just no way I could sum up Kevin in just a few sentences, uh, nevertheless, even like a few hours, but I, I can definitely give you some key points that I learned throughout the campaign trail for all 18 months. And, um, if that would be something of interest of your listeners. Yeah. Because I think in our leadership journey, right. We're trying to be good leaders. We're trying to grow in mm-hmm. our leadership. And so if some of those things, uh, that Kevin demonstrated through the yeah. campaign and through the leadership that he had there, I think that those are some things that we can learn to, uh, to acknowledge as more or less principles of success that right. we can apply to our leadership journey. And then hopefully that makes us better leaders, uh, to ourselves and to, to other people, which will help yeah. us, uh, uh, through the road of uh, success and leadership. That is absolutely right. Um, so one of the key points of my job, uh, was actually, so I was pretty much Kevin's shadow for 18 months, mm-hmm. every meeting that he was in, I was in every adventure out in the middle of Western Oklahoma, I was there with him. And so I got to spend arguably more time with him than maybe even his wife over the last 18 months. And wow. I can tell you, uh, a, a couple things, first of all. So one, 
Kevin is extraordinarily faith driven. Uh, I'd arrived to Kevin's house probably at five or 6 a.m. most days. And when we'd get in the car for the day, he'd always begin to probably pray out loud. He prayed for safety. He prayed for our drive. He prayed for the car. He prayed for the people we'd meet that day. Uh, before every big meeting that we'd have, he'd pray for, you know, pray the Lord for the opportunity and thank you for having it be his campaign, the Lord's campaign, and not Kevin's campaign and mm-hmm. just letting me be your vessel. And, we had uh, a guy on our campaign would always tell me that Kevin's been doubling down on the Lord his whole life. Uh, he's been, he was making 20 K his first summer selling books door to door. And he made an agreement with the Lord. They donate half of it to the church. Um, 18 years ago, uh, whenever he came back from that summer and, you know, now he's got 165 office company in 41 different states mm-hmm. and started it with a thousand dollars in a computer. And it's just extraordinarily faith driven. And that was a huge draw for me because I'm extraordinarily faith driven as well. And getting to see that implicated and used in real life was, was just truly amazing for my experience. Yeah. I, uh, I think that sometimes when we're, when we're, um, talking about leadership and we're especially we're talking kind of about some of the different themes in this this podcast yeah i think i think one of the things we 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 that i struggled with when i was your age is uh i felt that i had it, the success was mine that i had to work if i worked mm. harder than everybody else that's good and if I, and if i did more than anybody else that i could therefore then be successful and what what kevin exhibited to you was the opposite of that he ex- right. uh, exhibited stewardship he recognized right. that he was basically for that period of time uh in a role that you know, he was there to point back to something else and it wasn't about him. And I think that people recognize servant leadership um, and they, mm-hmm. they recognize that that's the kind of leaders that they want to be a part of. Cause when, when you set the ego aside and you have that humility and you have that willingness to learn and, and willingness to admit that you don't have all the answers, but you will work to figure them out. Right. I think that that is more attractive um, and it actually, in some cases, is more motivating for people under that leadership to do everything that they can to help accomplish whatever the goals that leader is putting in front. They're not, they're not necessarily the one that gets all the credit for it. The leader mm. is actually the one pointing to here's the direction and we're yes. just going in that direction. And it's the whole team, it's the whole company, it's the whole enterprise, it's the whole whatever that accomplishes it. I can so much easier, it's so much easier for me to get behind somebody like that than it is for somebody that I do all this stuff and I help them and we accomplish all that stuff. And then he turns right. around and was like, this is all me. I did this. This and, and you're sitting there going, no, this is a the the team did that. Like, yeah, <laughs> I I wrote half of that. All you did is put your name on it. That does that doesn't kind of compute. And so what happens is people lose that passion and they start to. It, it, I, I kind of think too, like it's when they say, "Don't never meet your heroes," because sometimes right. sometimes you're not going to like what you see. But it sounds like Kevin's right. kind of one of those guys that gets it, and then it inspires you to work even harder for someone like him. You're 100% right. And he's got, I mean, I'd say point two, he's got an insane work ethic. Mm -hmm. There really is no substitute for hard work. I mean, the guy just didn't stop. I get a day off here and there. Maybe I'd spend a day in the office working on strategy or a tax product or 
and Kevin would be back on the road running from 30 minute meeting to 30 minute meeting, 12 to 14 of them a day. And I, I, I can remember Evan to quick, I quickly learned to never pass up a bathroom opportunity <laughs> just because we just didn't have time to stop. Yeah. Uh, I learned that punctuality is a humongous business trait that executives and C-suite business people value. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with a natural sales personality he had and what I've grown to learn and, love about the the sales process is that if we had a meeting at 2.15, we'd be there at 2.15 come hell or high water. Even if that meant right. parking the car in like a McDonald's three places down because the traffic was backed up and sprinting <laughs> in the rain without umbrella to wow. get to that meeting in time so that we could be there. Punctuality meant a lot. Kevin didn't like to wait. And I learned that's a huge trait that we all need to do. It's funny. And so, so, so through transitive properties, therefore you're a very punctual person now. I, I have learned to never be late for anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's so, awesome. One of the, one of the things I do want to kind of hone in a little bit on is because yeah. we talked about serving leadership, yeah. but then you also talked about hard work. Like he was both. And I think that sometimes when we think about stewardship and servant leadership, especially stewardship. I, th- I, I, when I kind of, when you look at it on a surface level, you're like, well, if you're a steward, you're not doing the work. Right. And, I, and I think, I think what you're saying is that, you know, hard work exists through stewardship as well. You're doing that part as well. Right. And so it's not like, well, I'm a steward. So now I delegate everything else. No, he's still there doing the hard work. And, it's, and in some cases setting the example for everybody else. Right. Right. You're hundred percent right. And you know, anything's really possible if you put in the work. Yeah. You know, Kevin's favorite saying, and this is a saying that he says about the company all the time, says, if you're not green and growing, then you're ripe and rotten. Yeah. And we're always, we were always moving forward on the campaign and we're always looking to move the needle. Um, we actually had a talk the last Monday night. So I guess it was November 5th on our way home from campaigning in Oklahoma city, we had just walked around the thunder game, shaking hands and taking pictures. This was like the first time we'd ever gone to like a thunder game and done this. And it yeah. worked out really well. Cause it was the night before the election. You'd see a lot of people and, uh, he, we're getting in the car. It was 10, 15 PM. And he says, wow. He turned to me and says, can you believe all the work that's gone into this? And he said, we just must be crazy. Right, Brett? <laughs> I <thinking laughs> myself, uh, you know, uh, first of all, I'm like, Kevin, thank you for being a we guy because, yeah. you know, this is not all about you. Um, and he leaned over and I leaned over to him and I said, you know, Kevin, I learned a few months ago that actually none of this is about the power or the prestige or the money or or any of that for you. Instead, it's just all about growth and mm-hmm. it's all about moving the state forward. And it's all about putting yourself in situations that get you outside of your comfort zone. And it, it's just, he it was just unlike anyone I've ever met and our state's in really good hands. And he's just, uh, you know, thank the world of him because I've, I learned more than I could ever imagine. Yeah. So besides punctuality, what are some of the things that are your key takeaways that you're going to start implementing into your next role? Cause you're not going into politics after this, you're actually kind of transitioning out of that into something else. But what, what would you say? Mm-hmm. Like if, if you're in that situation now where you're now in a different kind of leadership role, what yeah. are some of the things that you're just saying? Like, these are non-negotiables for me. This is something that I'm carrying with me into yes. my future. Great question. Uh, first one's pretty easy for me and I'll, I'll, I'll use a little story to depict it. Um, 
it did not matter if we were walking in to meet, you know, George Kaiser at his office or another billionaire or even a financial planner in Guymon or in Kingfisher, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin always took the time to shake the hand of the receptionist mm-hmm. or the hostess at the restaurant or the mailman walking through the office or the construction worker on the roof outside, right? He always took the time to meet and introduce himself regardless if the person's in a position or authority over him or not. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great lesson for me that always take time for the people that you may not be coming to see, but always take time for everybody along the way. If Mm -hmm. that makes sense. It does. It does. And I I think that that's one of those things. Like I had a a friend that would always do that. And I was just like, man, what are you, what are you doing? Like there's all Mm -hmm. these people here and you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're hanging out with the help, right? You're, you're hanging mm-hmm. out with, with the people that are just doing all this stuff. And then the next thing you know, like he's, he's connected in every part of the community so because, true. because what's happened is, is all these people are like, Hey, this, this, this guy, like, yeah, I was talking to him such and such. And he was like, you know, willing to help me and do whatever he could for me. And they're willing to do whatever they can for him. So like if, uh, if it was at a restaurant, all he had to do is look over somewhere and a waiter showed up or if, (laughs) or if it was like, Hey, you know, we need some, we need a truck. Like he had, he picked up the phone and he could call 10 people with a truck. I mean, he had, he was so well connected and he was one of those guys that I said, it doesn't matter what this guy does. He will be successful no matter what. And and I, I attribute a lot of that reason too, that he viewed every single person as important. You're right. What are some other things? Yeah, uh, there's there's so there's so much that we oh, can yeah. tap into here. And I, I could I could tap into this forever, but I'd say another big one for me, um, and I'll put it in a kind of a funny saying because I just uh, one of my mentors says this, but really, no one wants to bake the bread. But by goodness, does everyone want to eat the bread? <laughs> um, and I can I'll, I'll give you a little background on this. So the day after primary election night where we just edged out lieutenant governor lamb yeah um i I mean it was super close we were down the whole night and then right as like pulses started flooding in we just passed him by a couple thousand votes right (laughs) i received that night i I never felt so popular my whole life i received (laughs) that night 173 text messages and I wrote it down in my journal, like bread. Dear journal. Popular, thank the <laughs> Lord for, right. And I got callous calls and voicemail congratulating me on the win. Well, after the general election in November, I think I received like north of 300 messages, right? Wow. So I was, I was just so elated with all that happening. It was just amazing, right? But well, you know what's really funny about that whole experience? You remember when I told, I, I told you at the beginning of this that. Some people thought I was crazy and I was insane. Those were the exact same people that were telling me, man, I knew Kevin had it the whole long, all along. (laughs) I knew he was going to get it. Congratulations. This is amazing. And no one saw the grueling days or the early mornings or the even longer nights or all the fast food stops and the substantial weight you gain from fast food (laughs) stops and 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 all the time somebody blamed us for problems that we had no control over or all the unglamorous moments everyone just sees the victory mm-hmm. and it's amazing because no one wants to put in the work bake the bread right everybody wants to be a part of the victory or yeah it, right so absolutely that's a huge lesson for me you know and, and and as you're saying that i think it's important to realize that and and, and that for you is probably 
I mean, that's something like if someone had told you that, I don't know that it would have connected with you the way that it does now. Yeah. And so ho hopefully through your story, the people listening to this can kind of uh, look at maybe some of the, the counsel of their friends that they're hearing that are telling you, maybe you shouldn't go for that, or I don't think you can do it, or I think you're crazy, or I don't think, you know, I, I don't think that that's a great idea for you. Right. But they're just, they're just speaking from their own perspective and yeah. their own point of view. And in, in most cases, they're very risk adverse and, and maybe they want the best for you, but they want the, what's, they want what's safe for you yep. over everything else. And if you believe passionately about that next step that you're about to do, and you have that, you, you have that, um, like you said, that, that kind of special moment where you're just like, you know, I think this is definitely something that I, I want to be a part of. Don't right. let somebody else talk you out of it because yes. those people that are just as willing to talk you out of it are just as willing to congratulate you about it when you actually <laughs> see the victory on the other side. It, that's exactly my point. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because you never really know someone's background or where they're coming from until you ask. Yeah. Right. So I always encourage everybody that, you know, I got to meet 12,000 people in person. We had a mm -hmm. database of, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, and you just, you never know what they think of or where they're coming from, or uh, you just, it, it's best to ask before you, you know, imply your, your advice to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes sense. Well, just from a, just from a dialogue standpoint, um, yeah. you know, I, I think when you're a politician or, or when you're in leadership, you're so consumed with making sure that you say what you need to say. Yes. But I think when you think about communication, communication is listening and talking at the same time. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's really important for people to recognize that in this process of, you know, whether it be running for political office or even just leading the team that you have, it, like you said, you're asking those questions, find out where they're coming from because you might present something to them and they're just not going to listen to you at all because they don't think that you're willing to listen to them. So why should they listen to you? Right. You start that dialogue and you start to learn about them and you start to ask questions about them. And, and in some cases they'll actually be more than willing to help you or you'll be able mm -hmm. to present it in such a way that they can actually connect with it. And now they feel like they're a part of it. Yes. That's it. You couldn't be more right. I can remember uh, one of the Drummond family, I can't remember who it was exactly walking into the office very early on in the campaign and he'd come directly from shipping cattle. And so I don't know how much your listeners know about shipping cattle, but he had Wranglers on and he had spurs. And when he got to the fourth floor of gateway, he apologized to us because his appearance, he, he had just showed up and he kind of smelled like cattle and, you know, <laughs> and wearing you suits and whatnot. And, 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 Kevin looked at him and I remember him saying, um, asking if the spurs he were wearing were John Israel spurs. Yeah. And the guy said, well, yeah, they are. And he kind of looked shocked and he said, you, you guys must be the most well-briefed guys I've ever met. <laughs> and to his surprise, uh, despite our appearance in suits, actually Kevin's cousin is John Israel. Yeah. And Kevin grew <laughs> up on the farm. Yeah, with his uh, with his granddad and who's a dairy farmer, and his other granddad who's a head vet of Oklahoma City Stockyards, and uh, I, I don't know. It just goes to show you that we we met a lot of people on the trail, very assuming, unassuming people that you would never guess 
you know, they had a ranch of 11,000 acres in the panhandle or they wow. flew a private jet back and forth to the city. And, you know, they just looked extraordinarily non-assuming. And I think that's a great trade in itself because it's what make Oklahomans really special. You just never know someone's story or background until you know where their heart lies and you get to ask them. So, <laughs> yeah, I used to work, work at a sporting goods store and, and Garth Brooks would come in. Oh, wow. And uh, I never, I actually, until he left, I never knew who it was him because he, he rolled up in Carhartts and jeans and, of and just like a ball cap. And like, you like, you just sit, like, I think it was like an Owasso Rams cap. And I, I probably talked to him multiple times. Didn't even, didn't even know yeah. it was him. I was just like, this is That's just some amazing. guy. And uh, so funny story about that. So the same guy that uh, that I told the story about, who always got got to know everybody and and yeah. uh, and uh, whatever else, uh, he shared a story with me that kind of cracked me up. So we were in sales, and we were both, uh, you know, we were on commission. So like we had to right. talk to we had to talk to people, and and uh, so we were always kind of fighting to get a start a conversation because once you start a conversation with somebody, they're kind of like your person that mm -hmm. you're helping or whatever. Yeah. And right. so anyway, so, uh, so this person walks in and they're not dressed up very nice. They look kind of dumpy. And, um, <laughs> so this guy goes and talks to him and, uh, doesn't really connect and, and, uh, just kind of like writes the person off. And then he sees me go up and talk to him. And I start talking to the guy and, I'm, and we're just kind of, uh, getting to know each other a little bit. Right. And, uh, so I, I, I kind of walked away for a second. I was like, Hey man, I know you talked to him first. Uh, you, you sure you're cool with this? And he goes, Oh yeah, yeah. That guy's not buying anything. I was like, okay, no worries. <laughs> So anyway, like four hours later, the guy's in the store with me for four hours, like buys thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff and pays cash for it. Like literally pulls a wow. lot of money out and pays cash. And wow. uh, <laughs> my buddy comes up to me afterward. He's like, or no, he actually told me this a long time later. He goes, he goes, you know, you know what I learned from you? And I said, I, 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 I don't even know. I'm a little afraid to ask. He goes, he goes, you remember that time that I, you know, I, I talked to that person and, and I didn't think that they uh, were going to buy anything. And then you just struck up a conversation with them and, and sold them all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, he said, he said, I learned I can never judge a person by what they wear. Yes. He said, uh, you That's could good. be talking to somebody who is an oil baron, or you could be talking to somebody who's, um, you know, like you said, a cattle farmer who has you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of acres and you just don't know it. And it's really just about getting to know that person, connecting with them and being there to help them. If you're trying to help them, um, you know, they'll, they, they can get on board with that. And in some cases you help them, they yeah. want to help you back. And I, and I feel like that's kind of what the idea of politics maybe started as, yes. but I think what happened is it, it kind of turned. I mean, we talk about public servant, right? We're, we're somebody who's representing the, the interest of the, the, the community and, and are doing things on their behalf, but it becomes an ego thing. It becomes an I, uh, my leadership, my, um, my message, my, my accomplishments, it becomes that and, and it becomes an elevated status. So now there's just, it's all ego. Yeah. And that's how we kind of get into the, 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 the challenges that we do where, you know, we're, we're on this, these cycles and nobody cares because all they care about is, you know, what it says on their business card or, or what kind of pin they can wear on their jacket to say what title they are. You're hundred percent right. That's why I'm kind of encouraged by, you know, some of the things that we're starting to see right now with, you know, the non-politicians, which I know will become cliche at some point. But I, I believe yep. what's happening is enough people are kind of getting fed up with the the status quo of uh, nobody caring and they're actually getting engaged. So I, I hope to see more things like that happening in the future. And I, I believe the communities are starting to see see through some of that. Yeah.
You're 100% right. That's a huge reason why I hopped on this campaign. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about strategy because, I mean, that was a big part sure. of, of what you do. Um, yeah. Obviously, starting the campaign as a relative unknown uh, outside yep. of his business and kind of his uh, circle of influence, um, you you ha- kind of had to come in with like a, a little bit of a game plan. Um but did you were you able to see all the way through to the election, or were you were you constantly making adjustments as things were happening? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, as for strategy, I think it was pretty consistent throughout the race. Surprisingly, since none of us have really uh, ever run a campaign, um, Kevin and I. The plan was Kevin and I would go meet and interact with as many people as humanly possible every yeah. day. <laughs> you know, I'd take notes, I'd follow up with people, I'd work on utilizing and connecting relationships across the state. It was kind of a big game of like jigsaw puzzles, right? Yeah. Oh, the, you know, the farmer in Woodward has a cousin who lives in Tulsa who is, you know, married to the the rancher in Northeast Oklahoma. You know, it was just, it's this big jigsaw puzzle. We just had an excellent team. Like I can't, I really couldn't say enough good things about our team. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a great fundraising staff. Uh, We had a great campaign manager and handle all the staffing and personnel and budget. Uh, We had an excellent uh, communications chair, which ended up becoming the deputy um, campaign manager named Donnell Harder. She's just a total stud. Mm. You do. She's an absolute workhorse and makes everybody on the team better just by association. Um, we had some people that would set up huge meet and greets for us. Uh, we had a scheduler um, named Forrest who would actually go and he would schedule every meeting we had. And you got to remember, Evan, we had meetings. It was for 30 minute to an hour meetings from <laughs> from 7 a.m. We might leave Tulsa at 5 a.m. We had a 7 a.m. meeting in Oklahoma City. And then we would go back to back to back to back to back until 10 o'clock at night. And we would do that five or six days a week, every week, no stop. And so it was really difficult for our team to schedule logistics. Like we had drive time down uh, so efficiently that Kevin and I knew which gas stations on the trail pump the gas <laughs> the fastest. Not kidding. Like we would never stop at that one. You know that that one you go from Tulsa to Oklahoma City, and it's right in the middle. It's a big Phillips 66 station. Yeah, with the McDonald's. Yeah, so I used to work at Phillips, and I have about called Phillips and been like, your gas pumps so slow. It was just <laughs> the slowest gas, so I would always get gas in the morning, or we try to bust it to Oklahoma City. And, you know, it was down to the minute every single time, every single day. And so we had a great strategist out of – uh, Washington, D.C., named Cam Savage. And, you know, the key to being a strategist, I'm pretty convinced, is to just stay calm, cool, collected, because that's exactly what you need on campaign trail, right? Because new poll numbers come out, and it's, you know, you're you're up in the moon. You're like, this is great. And the new poll numbers come out, and you're like, wow, what have we been doing for the past few months, right? <laughs> and so I guess another Kevinism, I'll call it, and a great learning point uh, to sum up this this little diatribe I went on, or he would always say, and I think this was a Bookfield stage, uh, Bookfield saying, he'd say, things are never as good as they seem or as bad as they may appear. They're mm-hmm. always somewhere in between. If if the polls were up five points, we'd run like we're 20 points down. Didn't matter every time. <laughs> 
hopefully Phillips is listening to this and, and uh, they take note about the speed of their, <laughs> their fuel being pumped. So uh, yeah. if, if anything was accomplished today, I think maybe that's possibly one of the things, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that last point that you made is really important because um, you think of the term knee jerk reaction, right? Like you, something happens and then you just kind of freak out. I had something like that happen today. I, there was an instance that happened. Somebody was concerned about something. Right. Um, and, and, and I was at, at, at that point I was like, okay, well we need to make a change. And then literally like 10 minutes later, somebody else came into my office and was just like, here's what's happening. And I think so-and-so is upset with us because uh, they think that I'm not doing it right this way, but I'm, I happen to do this because of this. And I'm like, Sure. Oh, this is this is like a systematic problem. Yeah. It's not it's not a, it's not an individual problem. Well, the one person can only can only see the the person ahead of them. So they're thinking, well, that person's not doing their job. Mm. But in reality, they that person can't do their job because of something else. And so I'm like, this is great. I can now that I can see it. Let's get you all in a room. Let's figure this thing out. And if I had done my knee jerk reaction, I would have reprimanded that person or I, I mean, I would have made a massive change, but I didn't have all the information. Um, my gut was saying, well, just, right. just, just make that change and, and move right. forward. But now, but now as, as I have more information, I'm like, okay, well actually I'm glad that there, this person is now bringing this to my attention. This, and this is something that we can hopefully fix. And the, the crazy thing was about it was like the, the words like all the time or this mm. always happens or, mm. you know, th- you know, this this is becoming, you know, rampant, like just all, all these words. And when we're actually digging into it, it happened three times and it was three different <laughs> three different things. Of course. And so so I'm just like, OK, that I mean, that ties perfectly to the quote that they're never as good as they seem or never as bad as they appear. Yep. It's somewhere in the middle. And there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that, again, in leadership. You, you, you got to take the time to dig into it because right. you don't have to go real deep for the most right. part. A lot of that stuff is very solvable and, and very fixable. And the funny thing is when you shine a light on it and, and, you, and it's like when somebody says, well, when you put it that way, it, it, it sounds worse than it actually is. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. And it, I, sometimes it takes that leadership to put it that way to kind of get that person to back off or to get that person to do that extra step or to get right. that, that, that whatever that bottleneck is to realize, Hey, because of my actions now, these other things are having to happen. Whereas if I just change this one behavior, it saves four to five hours of payroll because I got all these other people digging into it to try to figure out what happened. Yep. And so, you know, you have to be willing to dig into that. I, I, talk, I think about people that are non-confrontational um, that mm-hmm. that's a very dangerous, dangerous way to lead. Not, not in the sense of like blowing up and being angry, but you need to be willing to get people together. And through that conversation, there may be some confrontation. You need to confront them on the point. challenges that are happening. Um, but that's the only way things are going to get fixed. Otherwise everyone's just going to get frustrated. And when you're frustrated, then there's bitterness and resentment. Then there's a cost to that. So is yes. the, is the cost, uh, the bitterness, resentment, and potential, you know, systemic systemic problems worth it, or your slight ten minutes of discomfort? I think too right. many people put emphasis on their ten minutes of discomfort and aren't willing to change things uh, the yep. way that they, they they should because it requires a confrontation. Yeah, we're a society of immediate gratification, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what 
social media has done to us. That's what internet has done to us. That's what drive-throughs. That's what. I mean, forget drive-throughs. You can. I could pull up my phone and have it delivered to me. And so the the short term, uh, to be a successful leader, I really think you've got to focus on uh, being a master of delayed gratification, mm-hmm. and that's a big point and a big key to you know being a successful leader. Absolutely. And delayed gratification is a whole nother topic, but I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that the sooner you can understand the principle of delayed gratification, the better. I mean, you, you even talked about it in the beginning, uh, whereas you're, Hey, I'm young. This is the time to do this. This is the time to try something like this because I can be resilient right now. Correct. And you're delaying the great, like you, so, you know, when, with your original job, you know, there maybe wasn't as much delayed gratification because you were already in and you were already there, but you were you were willing to step away from that to delay right. the gratification because now I believe uh, that you have some uh, leadership experience that will translate over to any career that you decide to take moving forward. You're right. So no no pressure, but uh, I'm expecting <laughs> big things out of you. Okay, thanks, Evan. <laughs> I appreciate that. I want to go a little bit back to those knee jerk reactions and, and kind of close it down with this. And and uh, sure. you know part of part of the campaign did did have some uh, pretty hefty attacks on Kevin, on his character, on his yeah. business, and on on some of the things that they were doing. And I would say that my initial gut reaction would be to respond in kind, right, mm. uh, with with negative or whatever else. But it's from what I saw, it looked like. Uh, Kevin stayed pretty solid on the high road there to the extent that when you looked at the poll numbers, which mm-hmm. I don't know how much poll numbers actually mean um, going up to it, but when you saw the actual election results, there was a massive gap between the person that went negative and Kevin. Do you yeah. believe that was because of the negative side of things or do you think it was because Kevin uh, kind of chose to show through his leadership that, hey, we're not going to get down into the mud with these people? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a great question, and uh, I think your key point in there is no one really knows if polls are right or wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because when we were, yeah, I, I just, I you look at the national polls, and you're like, this isn't even close, right? Yeah. Trump is supposed to lose 100 times out of 100, right? yeah. and, then, and then magically he breaks the blue wall, and he gets into office. So I remember the negatives. The negatives were definitely hard. There's no doubt about it. I remember when uh, specifically the Bullstit commercial yeah. came out, and I remember getting a call from, I think it was like one of my uh, one of my uncles or one of my aunts. I can't remember exactly what then. Just just being like, man, that has got to hurt the you know Kevin his family. But yeah. you know what the crazy part of all that is? Really, Kevin. He, he, I was with him every day. He really held no resentment and still holds no resentment towards any of his opponents and anyone at that time. Um, he, if he had a problem with someone, then he would personally reach out and do his best to reconcile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I think he's got really, really tough skin after years and years of being an entrepreneur and being told, you know, sales personality, you go door to door and you try to sell books and people turn you down, you just build that, that uh, inertia, that tough skin, that uh, things roll off his back. And it didn't really bother him too much. And he's got an incredible support, incredible support system and Sarah, his wife and his kids and his friends and the campaign team. And, um, you know, it's kind of a bit of a side note of that, the, the negatives for me, I kind of learned that a heated discussion 
in the middle of a campaign, maybe it was brought up by a, a negative or whatnot that we need to readjust our strategy mm-hmm. um, is actually pretty good for the organization. Yeah. Um, you know, Kevin will always say a leader always pushes the organization forward and he'd give this toothpaste example. It's still stuck in my head today. <laughs> so he'd, he'd like take this thing of toothpaste and he'd put it out on the table in front of everyone. And he'd say, all right, now everyone gets a chance to squeeze the tooth of toothpaste so that we can see how much we can get out, like ideas and friction. And, you know, you're, you're not you're not complaining to the other person. You're not you know, demoralizing them. All you're doing is squeezing that tooth, that toothpaste thing to try to get the most out. And then he'd go on to explain, we've got to have four or five different types of people on this campaign and we got to have a let's go guy which is always kevin no matter mm-hmm. what he's always going and then you got to have a let's never leave anyone behind guy because mm-hmm. you don't want to run off without the team and then let's do it right guy and let's make sure that you know if we do it right then it all fits in and then there's got to be a let's innovate and let's try new things type of guy and and so I think the negatives to sum it all up were very difficult, but through conversations about all those negatives and through like, hey, do we have to change strategy? I learned a lot of key points on who you need to have on the team and it, it, pulling out the friction and using that toothpaste and, um, you know, to hold no resentment against someone that was calling you bullshit is just it's beyond me. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I just can't say enough good things about all the leadership traits and things that I experienced on this 18 months. From a marketing standpoint, it was genius. I know. Isn't it? <laughs> when you, when, when you're like, so I, so I, I totally can like imagine the, the conference room, right? Everybody's in there and they're like, how are we going to get this guy? This guy, nothing. <laughs> Right. Somebody to kind of pull him down a little bit. And like, the, you know, a lot of the stuff he just says is just a bunch of bull crap. And they're like, hold on. And, <laughs> and at that point, I think that, I think that at that point they're, you know, just, they kind of get blinded by the, the novelty of it and forget to ask the question of whether they should or shouldn't do it. And I, and for me kind of going up to the election and uh, don't hate me for this, I, I yeah. could have gone either way. But sure. after that campaign came out, it, it pushed me over to Kevin uh, sure. because I, I felt like Cornette had a good track record yeah. that he could accomplish some stuff. So I was like, I don't, I don't fault the guy. What yeah. I did fault was the fact that he didn't kind of pull back and say, Oh, all right, I have a campaign that runs this and I've right. instructed them to pull all the ads because this is, this is beyond the line of where I'm at. Uh, had he done that maybe a little bit different. Uh, I think Kevin still would have won, but just from a, Kind of point at first, I was like, man, I could totally see how that happened. And somebody was probably right. high-fiving like, oh, we got him. Like, the, you know, <laughs> this this is going to be the defining moment of our campaign. And then sure. it all it all just kind of crumbled in front of them. One thing that you did talk about that um, that really kind of connected with me was, you know, talking about Kevin having tough, tough skin. Yes. I think it's a combination of a couple of things. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, but I have some theories. Um, I've been known to be wrong, you know, once or twice in a millennium. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, I, I think there's two main reasons that that he ha- is, is perceived to have tough skin. Um, the first is he knows who he is. Uh, he has confidence in what what he's been able to do, and it's because uh, basically 
uh, he'll take anything that anybody throws at him and he chooses whether or not to accept it. And right. so if, if it's not true, if it's, if it's not kind, if it's not, uh, something that's productive or whatever else he looks at it and says, okay, that's not true. My business is not a failure. I, I, these things, uh, that they're putting out there are not true. Uh, they're, they're twisting it. So therefore, it doesn't matter. And he kind of moves on. Whereas some people might hang on to those things. And right. They might, they might hang on to it and they might carry it for a very long period of time uh, to the point where they actually become the thing that somebody spoke over them. So I think it's really awesome that, that Kevin, uh, and I don't know how early in, in his life kind of figured that out, that yeah. I need to know who I am and I can only be what I'm, uh, what I'm, created to be. And so mm. therefore I'm going to own that and whatever else somebody has says, those doubters that you talked about earlier, I'm, I'm going to let those things bounce off of me because what their opinion doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm passionate about it. I believe about this and I think this is what's right for what I'm trying to do. The other side right. of it is going back to stewardship again. I think that Kevin viewed what he was doing as a steward for the, the people of Oklahoma uh, and, and his right. faith. And yep. so when people were trying to continue to attack that, he didn't take it personally because he's like, hey, I'm just trying to accomplish what, what the state of Oklahoma needs or what, what, uh, what my faith tells me that I need to be doing for myself. And so it wasn't a personal attack on who he was. It wasn't a personal attack on his identity because being governor was not his identity. Correct. His identity was being Kevin. And I yes. think there's so much that we can learn from that because you, you're essentially looking at somebody that's in a position like Kevin is where he's a successful business person and it could be really easy for him to wrap his identity or identity around his success. And then when somebody goes to attack his success, he yes. would lash out because now you're questioning who he is. He didn't have to quite, he didn't have to lash out because if they questioned his success, it wasn't what defined him. Does that make sense? You're, this couldn't be more correct, right? He held everything really loosely. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we can take away in our leadership is to realize again, that it's, it's not about us. We are replaceable and our job in, in the position that we're in, we're in that position because of the decisions that we make because of who we are uh, as a person. And right. because of the leadership that we've proven up to this point, uh, you're not going to have all the answers. I'm pretty sure when you came on to Kevin's campaign. Uh, I don't even know if there was a, a campaign strategy for dummies book that you could read. So you, you kind of had to go into it knowing that I might not have the answers for everything, but we're going to figure this out as we go. And Correct. if somebody said you did something and you failed at it, be like, well, yeah, I, I fully expected that we might fail at some stuff because we've never done this before and that's right. okay. But we're going to always keep moving. We're always going to be growing. Like Kevin said, and the cool thing about that is now you've actually seen those principles uh, and those actions at work to now when you're in a situation that maybe isn't as big as that one, but you know the steps of what you can do and mm -hmm. that way you can help lead your organization or, or your team or whatever else uh, to that goal and, and, you, and you can have the confidence to know that it is achievable because you're able to look back at the foundation that you have today. Yep. It's great. Fantastic. Brett, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with me and, and with the audience and uh, uh, really excited to see kind of what you have coming next and, and, and the uh, things that you've learned along your entrepreneurial uh, and leadership journey. I always give my guests a, a, a chance to speak directly to the audience, a message, if you will, uh, to young business leaders. Usually it's 
my message to myself 10 years ago, you're actually in that role today. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you had a chance to talk to your peers or if you knew that your peers were tuned in, what would be kind of the, the thing that you really want them to walk away from in this conversation? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question, Evan. Um, I, you know, from my 18 months of meeting 12,000 people and traveling all the way across the state of Oklahoma and fundraising and taking big risks, you know, I think the the biggest piece of advice that's really stuck with me over the last 18 months and what I've really gleaned from it is the, the goal in life is to not be comfortable. It's to get outside your comfort zone and take risk and try something new. And the way one of my mentors puts it is throw yourself in a bunch of new buckets in your early years and just try things out and see which ones stick, right? Because trial and error is an excellent teacher. Mm. Um, and I, I think for your listeners and for everyone around my age group that people, this is a pretty common theme, but just putting it into practice is a whole lot harder than what people think. That's kind of an awesome way to look at, uh, at life is to realize that trial and error is okay. And I think sometimes yeah. we're so focused on that we have to be perfect and we have to be successful that we don't realize that failure is part of the teaching journey. And in some cases, some of the best teachers and so if you can fail fast and fail quickly, uh, or, or what is it, fail fast and fail cheaply, yeah. then you can actually learn so much more in those instances and being okay with it. Like you, like you said in the beginning, you're young, you're resilient. Use this time right now to you know, broaden that foundation that you have so that later on when you're an old man like me, uh, you know, trying to figure out all the things that you're trying to do, um, you kind of look back at those times and say, I'm glad that I'd, I'd learn those things now because I'm able to uh, use that in, yeah. in my leadership right. journey moving forward. Right. And people are generally nice, right? So yeah. take the ask. The worst thing you can they can say is no. Sometimes yeah. you get that like built up anxiety of, oh, if I ask this, like things are going to go horribly wrong. I'll ruin my relationship. But people genuinely they, I mean, they normally want to help you. And mm -hmm. so go ahead and take the risk, make the ask, right? And uh, and I guess the last thing I'll say to wrap all that up is if you're looking at, at, at taking a risk and if you're looking for, um, you know, putting yourself in a very uncomfortable place, note that it's not going to be easy. It's mm -hmm. going to be very difficult. This was a very challenging 18 months of my life. But I have learned and grown more from this 18 months than I did in 20 years of having a normal, easy, down-to-earth life. And <laughs> so just know that it's going to be challenging and it's going to be hard. And you're going to need a support system of friends and family and mentors and people that you can go to when the days get rough. And it's, uh, you know, not what all you cracked up to be. Mm -hmm. And um, But it's the, the journey is worth it. Right. The, the prize is at the end. The prize is not Kevin really being governor. The prize is the journey throughout all 18 months. And then all that's good. The good that is going to come from Kevin being governor is the prize for the state of Oklahoma. <laughs> awesome. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or 
email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.